Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Unheard News, I'm Freddie Sayers. Ever since the war in Ukraine began, I keep coming back to one question, and I'm afraid it's a bit of a terrifying one. Has nuclear war just become more likely? It's barely even discussed in most of the media, but by trying to push Vladimir Putin to the brink, are we actually increasing the chance of a nuclear incident? What actually is the sequence of events that would lead to nuclear conflict? These feel like questions we should probably know more about than we do, and yet finding anyone who can actually answer them is near impossible. Those of you who watched my interview last week with the Russian Deputy UN Ambassador might remember that I asked him, and he genuinely seemed to have no idea. Well, we have looked high and low and have found someone who might just be able to help. He is a senior researcher in the WMD program at the Institute for Disarmament Research. He holds a PhD in political science from the Moscow Institute of International Relations. He worked with the Center for Arms Control Studies at the Moscow Institute of Physics and Technology. He's a researcher with the program on science and global security at Princeton University. He runs the world's premier website dedicated to analysing Russian nuclear forces, russianforces.org, and he was even an editor on the definitive encyclopaedia of Russian nuclear forces. So if he can't help, then I'm afraid nobody can. His name is Pavel Podvig, and he joins us from Geneva. Hi, Dr. Podvig. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. So let's just start with the basics, if we could. Nuclear Weapons 101. How many nuclear warheads do the Russians have, and where are they? The total number of warheads that our Russia is believed to have is close to 5,000, uh, which is roughly the same number as uh, in the United States. Uh, but that number includes all kinds of warheads, including those that are retired and just awaiting dismantlement. Uh, then uh, there are, there are uh, about 1,200 weapons that are actually uh, ready to be used. Those are installed on intercontinental ballistic missiles or on submarine-launched ballistic missiles. These are strategic uh, warheads, strategic delivery systems. So those would be kind of ready to go? 
yes, those are ready to go. They are designed. Uh, they are designed to be uh, in high degree of readiness, and uh, those, if things come to that, uh, they could be launched in minutes. Uh, but those are strategic warheads, and those are targeted at uh, uh, presumably at the uh, United States uh, or some other countries. Could I just ask uh, on that? So. Where are they, those weapons? They're on land dotted around Russia, or they're on submarines, or a combination? It's a combination. Uh, the, these are, as I said, uh, some of them uh, are on intercontinental ballistic missiles. Those are missiles that are uh, uh, on duty in silos uh, in all over Russia. or We, we know the places, uh, but they are uh, dispersed. Uh, and uh, they are also, uh, Russia also operates uh, the... Uh, mobile intercontinental ballistic missiles. So those are uh, missiles that are carried by uh, mobile launchers, uh, and uh, they are sometimes in the base, sometimes they go on patrol and hiding somewhere in the woods. Uh, so uh, these are, uh, the rough count is about 800 uh, of those warheads are with intercontinental ballistic missiles. Uh, then there are uh, strategic submarines. Uh, those are, uh, those submarines carry uh, sea-launched ballistic missiles that also have warheads on them. Uh, and most of those submarines are uh, on patrol, not, not all of them, but uh, a good uh, fraction of those. Uh, and then again, uh, once they are on patrol at sea, or if they are, they could actually uh, uh, stay in port and be ready to launch. But those uh, weapons also can be launched uh, fairly quickly. So all it needs, I suppose, is one of those 1,200 ready-to-deploy missiles. It seems like a very large number. Was this a relic of the Cold War, that there was a sort of competition of how many warheads you had? I mean, it feels intuitively like a few nuclear bombs is already going to be quite near the end. Why would you need so many? It is indeed a relic of the Cold War. Uh, we used to have uh, about 10,000 uh, strategic warheads on each side uh, in the Soviet Union and the United States. And the total uh, number was uh, closer to 35 or 40,000 warheads. Uh, so we came uh, down quite a bit, but it's, uh, these things are, uh, they have a tremendous inertia and uh, these things are very difficult to get rid of. Uh, and uh, once you have weapons, uh, the uh, people who uh, build them, service them, uh, design them, they uh, tell you that they need to keep uh, a certain number of weapons uh, and they, they will find the, the, the targets for them. That's how it works. And just to put it in perspective, how many does the UK have, roughly? The UK has uh, closer to 120 total. Uh, again, we don't know the exact number, uh, but uh, it's uh, on, on that order. You say they're actually already pointing at targets. Do we know that? So they've chosen potential targets in advance? They uh, certainly uh, have targets that were uh, chosen in advance, uh, and they, there are uh, elaborate uh, war plans uh, that uh, tell them where to go, uh, in what circumstances. There are options. Uh, so normally, uh, uh, a missile uh, would probably have several options that would be chosen uh, at the time when the plan is implemented, uh, and uh, that, that's uh, that's a 
kind of a science of its own, uh, pretty macabre science, but there, there it is. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, the, uh, there was an agreement from uh, 94 under which uh, all uh, missiles in uh, Russia and the United States, uh, when they are in peacetime, they are not pointing at anything or they are pointing it at, uh, at the oceans. Uh, with the idea that if uh, if there is some kind of an accident, uh, then they will not uh, hit a city or something like that. So I'm just wondering, in the context of what we've seen in the past few months, where it looks like some of the Russian military is underperforming against expectations, at least, how do we know whether the sort of nuclear capability might be similarly degenerated? I mean, are they Cold War era facilities that, you know, do they work, basically? I wouldn't count on them not working, let me put it that way. Uh, again, uh, these things are not, uh, they are complex pieces of engineering, uh, of course, uh, but there are no moving parts there. And, uh, and again, there are ways to uh, keep them in uh, working order. Uh, and uh, uh, we also have uh, a way of uh, looking at uh, things that can be tested, like, for example, missiles. Uh, missiles are uh, being tested fairly regularly, and uh, looking at the failure rates and uh, things like that, uh, we could, uh, see that the, these are, even though some missiles are literally almost 40 years old, uh, they, once they are launched, uh, they perform. So what do we know, given that we know they have this massive arsenal, what do we know about the decision-making process towards actually letting one off? Do we know anything about that? Is it all speculation? There are uh, two uh, key scenarios here. And one is uh, the, uh, what is called the retaliation. So if a, if a country finds itself under attack, uh, then uh, it uh, would want to launch nuclear weapons in response. So under, under nuclear attack. Uh, so, uh, and uh, in this case, uh, you would want to make sure that the attack is real, uh, on the on the one hand, but at the same time, uh, you would want to make uh, certain that uh, you don't launch uh, your weapons uh, based on a false alarm. So, and uh, there are uh, certain procedures there. And uh, as I said, in the Soviet uh, days, they developed these procedures. Uh, and uh, in fact, uh, it appears that uh, the protocol is that uh, you wait for actual nuclear detonations on your soil before you actually can actually launch uh, weapons in retaliation. So uh, that is uh, one scenario. And, uh, and still, it, it appears that uh, even in this case, uh, it's not just the president uh, who has the sole authority to uh, launch uh, the weapons. Uh, there is a process that involves other people in the, in the loop. Uh, presumably the Minister of Defense, the Chief of uh, General Staff, uh, they probably do not have the right of veto, uh, and, uh, but uh, still they have a chance to be in the consolidative process. You could also have a, a first strike. You could decide that you want to launch uh, an attack. Uh, and in the case of a first strike, uh, again, uh, the president being the commander in chief uh, could probably uh, circumvent all the safeguards that are in place. Uh, but still, uh, it, uh, it would be a process, and they, there would be many people involved in that, including uh, the military, 
uh, you would have to develop a plan uh, to use weapons. Uh, you would have to select targets. You would have to issue orders. Uh, and uh, again, since the military are there to follow the orders, not to question them, but still, it's a uh, uh, it's a process, and it takes a certain time and cooperation of uh, people. It's not like there is a button uh, there somewhere on the uh, president's desk, and uh, it could can be pushed. No, it doesn't doesn't work like that. I mean, having seen some video footage of. President Putin meeting with cabinet colleagues, you don't get the impression he has a huge amount of respect for them and they seem quite sort of interchangeable. I guess we shouldn't hold all of our hope in saving the world on some sort of cabinet uh, minister disagreeing with him. That's a fair point, of course. Uh, but still, the process of making that decision and issuing that order, uh, it is, uh, in a way, it's more technical and uh, it is uh, it, it does involve uh, people who are, uh, how should I say, uh, professional uh, and uh, who actually have a certain idea of what these weapons are capable of. There was actually a statement today by the Deputy Prime Minister of Russia, Yuri Borisov, who said that Russia is not going to be the first to launch a nuclear strike. In an interview with Interfax, this is a quote, he says, according to our doctrine, According to our strategy, the armed forces of the Russian Federation would use a nuclear strike only in retaliation. According to the doctrine, we would not be the first to attack. The president, our commander-in-chief, has two naval officers carrying a so-called nuclear suitcase nearby at all times. In the case of threats detected by air and space defense and missile attack warning systems, the fact of the attack and the location of the crash would be determined. These are the criteria for retaliation. So should we believe that, do you think? He's saying the doctrine is they would only launch in retaliation. Technically, uh, the doctrine says that Russia reserves the right to uh, use nuclear weapons first in certain circumstances. So Berisov was not quite correct. Uh, but the, uh, these, uh, these certain circumstances are uh, also described fairly clearly. Uh, that would uh, require a conventional attack, uh, conventional aggression against Russia, uh, that would threaten the very existence of the state. This is really... Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Crucial, isn't it? And actually, in... The interview I mentioned in the introduction, which I did last week, with the deputy ambassador to the United Nations from Russia, a very high-ranking spokesman of, of the, that country, he said in one part of the interview the same phrase you've just said, that if Russia feels it's under an existential threat, it reserves the right to use nuclear weapons. And elsewhere in the same interview, he said that Russia is currently facing an existential threat which I've got to say didn't fill me with reassurance. It's not like uh, someone is going to argue this in court, right? So it's, uh, these are eventually uh, the nature of the threat uh, is a very subjective thing. Uh, and uh, it is uh, entirely possible that at some point the leadership uh, would decide that uh, the certain actions, uh, in fact, uh, threaten the very existence of the state. So we've got a scenario where any hope for a kind of obstacle in personnel or process is maybe a bit far-fetched because the president could override them. Any obstacle in terms of doctrine or principle is probably easy to override because he could just decide that Russia faces an existential threat. So the next question must be, in your opinion, in the real world, what kind of scenario would Russia have to face in order for it to be likely to reach for that option? One thing to, uh, to understand uh, is that uh, there are, in this conflict, uh, definitely, uh, there are no uh, plausible military uh, missions for nuclear weapons. So uh, normally you would think uh, that, uh, and people all often discuss uh, that, oh, Russia could use those kind of a tactical nuclear weapons or something like that. Uh, but the reality is that uh, those tactical weapons are the weapons that uh, presumably would help you to achieve certain military advantage on the battlefield. And there is no battlefield of this kind, uh, of the kind that would, where nuclear weapons would help you do anything. Uh, so in that sense, uh, there is uh, there are no like tank columns, uh, Ukrainian tank columns advancing somewhere that could be stopped by nuclear weapons. There are no uh, aircraft carrier groups that also could be a target. So uh, what's, uh, so if you think about it, uh, then the only uh, plausible use of nuclear weapon in, in this kind of a conflict uh, would be uh, to use uh, them in a strategic way, uh, meaning uh, uh, to use them uh, to kill a lot of people, to break the will of the opponent and force uh, the opponent to surrender. Pretty much the way uh, nuclear weapons were used in the end of uh, World War II in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So that was the that was the idea, strategic uh, use. Or again, uh, people often mention mention the uh, option of Russia is using uh, a, a demonstration strike, uh, sort of 
detonating weapons somewhere high in the atmosphere and sort of to show the resolve uh, to use them. But then again, the question is to use them for what? And you are, again, you're, you're coming back to this, the same issue, uh, to use them to kill a lot of people. If we could, let's just dwell on that the possibility, because that is an, an interesting one. Some people have said that they could detonate a weapon over the North Sea, for example, um, which would still be a nuclear weapon. It would have, I mean, you tell me, but I guess it would still have very serious consequences in terms of, you know, waves or radiation or other things for the surrounding countries. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. If you, if you detonate the weapon fairly high up, uh, you will not have any kind of effect on the ground, really. What would the NATO response be to that? Would NATO feel, would, is Prime Minister Boris Johnson going to be on the phone with Joe Biden within five minutes and say, OK, Joe, are we now going to do a counterattack somewhere above the atmosphere in Siberia? I mean, what is the likely way that plays out? If we accept uh, that the purpose of this, uh, this kind of a demonstration would be to, to demonstrate the resolve to kill a lot of civilians, then a response in kind would be uh, basically a message saying that, oh, yeah, we're also ready to kill a lot of people, right? So, and I, and I think it's not the kind of a response that would be appropriate in this, in this situation. But the reality is that it's not called mutually assured destruction for nothing. And the reality is that an attempt to attack Russia uh, with the uh, intent to uh, destroy its uh, strategic forces, its nuclear forces, uh, any attempt of this kind uh, would uh, not be successful in the sense that uh, a lot of weapons will survive. They are designed to, to do so. Uh, and the, the response uh, would be very catastrophic. I mean, we are talking about, uh, I mean, in that kind of scenario, we'll be talking about tens of millions of people dead in a matter of hours. In the disastrous scenario that a nuclear weapon is actually launched in the direction of Europe or the US or somewhere, do we have any defense against no. it? <laughs> right, no. so there's no, there's no there's iron no, equivalent there's no to the Iron Dome in Israel or anything. We don't have no. any intelligent counter-missile capability. No, 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 there is no defense against uh, this. So the only defense is uh, to make sure that it doesn't happen. So, and how do you do that? That's, that's a difficult issue. Uh, and uh, the, uh, this, this whole nuclear deterrence uh, framework, if you will, uh, is that uh, relies on your ability to threaten uh, retaliation. This is the mutually assured destruction uh, part. Uh, and, uh, and retaliation uh, doesn't have to be particularly massive uh, because, because even, even, even if a few uh, warheads uh, survive, uh, which they will, uh, they will most likely be targeted against uh, cities. So we are still talking about millions of uh, casualties here. Do we have any idea which cities they are targeted at? Not really. I would imagine that mostly populated uh, sort of the east coast of the United States. I mean, uh, I, I, I don't know and I don't want to know. Is <laughs> really? this, this is, I noticed you're speaking to us from Geneva. 
yeah. that's uh, not chosen as the neutral country of Switzerland, least likely to be <laughs> receiving a nuclear weapon then? <laughs> no, that's not, that wasn't the reason. Uh, yeah. No, but if, if uh, yeah, I mean, if we're, if the Russian weapons are most likely targeted at the uh, cities in the United States. You've been studying this for decades. In your opinion, is the chance of some kind of nuclear incident greater now, today, than it was three or four months ago before the current conflict and the freeze out of Russia and the whole escalation that seems to be happening? Well, in relative terms, yes, because we, we, have, a, we have a war going on and uh, this war uh, put, did put uh, Russia and uh, NATO in the United States in conflict, uh, even though indirectly at this point. Uh, so uh, I do not believe that we are at the point where the use of nuclear weapons is likely, uh, in a sense that, uh, again, as I said, uh, the use of kind of tactical weapons, uh, in my view, uh, would still have to clear this very high bar of killing civilians. Uh, and it won't give uh, Russia any uh, advantage. The current approach of the Western powers to the conflict in Ukraine seems to be to make it as hard as possible for the Russians, for them to suffer as heavy losses as possible, as much of their conventional military to be destroyed as possible, and basically lose. It's going on at the same time as these enormous economic sanctions. They've been basically ejected from most of the global systems. Do you feel that by taking such a kind of forthright attitude in response to their incursion into Ukraine, we are bringing closer that unhappy pathway that you talked about, where they might feel so desperate or on the ropes that this is the only option left to them? Yes, as I said, definitely. Uh, the uh, the assistance uh, that is uh, given to Ukraine uh, does cre create additional uh, possibilities for escalation, even though they may be remote, but uh, does. If you think about it, uh, making a decision to kill millions of people is not a, an easy decision to make. And you really, I, I really hope that we are not talking about these kind of cal calculations uh, that are uh, that are made in any in any kind of at the end of the day, it comes down to hope. Then, hope that the person in charge feels the same way as you or I might about making that kind of decision. Well, hope, yes, I guess that's. Uh, but again, uh, what, what I'm trying to say is that it's not it's not just hope. Uh, we 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 can work to make that position stronger and clearer and uh, uh, really uh, forceful. Uh, it's, there is no guarantee that it will work, uh, but that doesn't mean that we are kind of helpless here. So as you're sitting there in Geneva, you won't be going to bed tonight anxious about the possibility of nuclear war. Should we be reassured from one of the world experts on this topic, um, that you're not sitting there really worried that this is becoming a, a possibility. 
Yes, I think we should be uh, we we should be uh, clear that uh, again we are not uh, there yet. We are not close to a nuclear use uh, in any shape or form. Uh, that I think something we can feel reasonably certain. Uh, but at the same time, we uh, also need to keep in mind that uh, we can get closer, uh, and uh, there are ways to make sure that uh, we are not going there that way. Uh, and there are ways uh, of different kind. Uh, as I said, I mean, it's uh, caution, courage, wisdom in certain decisions. Uh, it's uh, this uh, strong uh, message and moral stance uh, uh, in for other people. Uh, and everything together may just work. Dr. Pavel Podvig, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you to Dr. Pavel Podvig, one of the world's foremost experts on nuclear weapons and Russian nuclear weapons in particular. He was giving his sense of the facts and the likelihood of some kind of nuclear strike coming out of Russia at any point. You may have come to a very different conclusion, but to me it feels like we're at the end of the road on this inquiry. Ultimately, the only defences we have against this apocalyptic scenario are soft joint statements, international moral pressure, and the presumption that no human being could countenance such a devastating situation. Well, here's hoping. Thanks for tuning in. This was Unheard News. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.